Welcome to Veens and Gravy, a fantasy baseball podcast dedicated to our league, a 14-team head-to-head categories league. For this podcast, two former champions will break down all the news and noise related to our league. In our inaugural episode, we're going to focus on the recently completed trade deadline. So joining me today is my co-host, former champion of Money League, Gravy. What's up, Gravy? Hello, Mr. Vinitra. How are you? I'm great, man. So for our inaugural episode, uh, we're going to be breaking down Moneyball's recent trade deadline. And I think for a little bit of context, we got to provide this. We are about two and a half weeks out from the trade deadline. So some of these deals may look a little better, a little worse at the time that they were executed. But I really want to jump into these on kind of what our initial feelings were. And then maybe on some of those situations that the the values have changed, uh, we can talk about that as well, too. So. As we as we open this up, Graves, what's your uh, what's your initial take on just this year's trade deadline in general? So August fourth, I feel, will be a day that in two thousand one fantasy league uh, playoffs will be a day some people will be very excited about, and some people will rue and uh, strongly dislike how they performed. Um, one thing I like to point out was. You know, there were some trades that I guess would kind of be precursors to what would happen on August 4th. Um, you know, you started to see some of the people laying down, um, deciding that they weren't going to make a push for it. And you started to see some people capitalize on that. So that's always something I always find interesting um, to start that trade deadline is like the week before or 10 days before when someone finally says, yep, I'm done. I don't want to make a push for this. So we did have uh, we we did have probably a, a league first. We had our first sellers trade, I believe, in the first week of May. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't see that coming. So that uh, we're not gonna break that one down today. But I think that was a first where we saw uh, someone just kind of realize that their team wasn't going to be competing this year. And, and honestly, I thought it was a good trade for them uh, from a keeper standpoint. But that was really interesting. We had someone make a move that quickly. Your thoughts? Well, let, let's not beat her on the bush. The team we're talking about is Lasers Pew Pew. And uh, I believe it was Dress Barn that he basically sold out to. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Trying Correct. to get Brian Hayes was part of that deal um, very early. But I also have to tip my hat to the teams that notice, okay, this just ain't my year, whether it's injuries, whether it's um, just underperforming superstars, but people that are willing to bite that bullet and, and just make a jump for it. Um, one thing I will point out, Chico's Bail Ponds did that early in the year. Um, back on July 7th, he also tried to capitalize on the Lasers PPU, ended up selling himself, and then ended up buying again. So I feel that earlier that teams react, it kind of does give you a little more room for error later. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, so that so we I think we had a lot of movement towards the deadline. One thing I noticed, and maybe I'm not sure if you'll agree with this or not, but I was a little surprised that the middle tier kind of in the standings, I think they made decisions rather quickly. I think in prior trade deadlines, we had seen people kind of wait to the last minute to pull the trigger. I, I was really shocked by the amount of middle teams that actually kind of made their decision right away. So for me, uh, I was a little bit above that. 
I, I was a little surprised. There's a few more uh, potential trade partners there. I thought there'd be some situations where you'd run out of dance partners, if you will. So I thought that was really interesting that there was a lot of decisiveness and, and people started making their moves. And I think some of our seasons we've seen people have I've kind of waited to the last second or, or maybe not even made the decision at all. And I feel like most teams either were in or out uh, and kind of ran with it. I mean, you're, you're kind of seeing it now, even a couple of weeks after the deadline, we're pretty jumbled up there. Like the first couple spots are established for the playoffs. I would say the bottom couple are, but there was a ton of teams that hung around the middle of that. I mean, it kind of made it hard to decide whether or not they were going to buy or sell or what they were going to do. So yeah, there was a lot of people that night that had to make decisions, but I feel a lot of people, you know, were kind of dragging their feet or whatever it may be. The other thing I noticed too, is I kind of felt like the keeper inventory this year, you know, those elite no brainer first round, second rounds with really low values, they were pretty few and far between. I mean, realistically, I think the only real league changer where you'd pretty much do anything to change your, to, to trade for would be Tatis. Um, but I, I don't know, and I know there was a I know there was a trade block where the, the owner of that uh, player mentioned that they would potentially consider moving them. I never took that to be a, a realistic option. I don't know. You were selling at some points and buying, so maybe you had conversations with him about that player's availability. But I felt like that was never really a realistic option. So sometimes when we have these deadlines, we wait for kind of that big piece to move. And I don't really know if there was one there. There's lots of good values, lots of good players, but I think there was definitely a lack of that no-brainer. This is the best guy, the best keeper contract. So it really led a lot of opinions for you know where values laid with people. So as an unbiased journalist uh, looking at this league, I happen. I mean, I communicated with everyone at the deadline to see who was available, who was buying, who was selling, and Tatis was available, and I. Heard, you know, from some GMs, some of the offers that were being made to him. And it just sounded like there was unrealistic expectations for what to get back. This is a guy you got to remember. He's got one year left in his contract. He's got shoulder problems. He's got injury concerns. And it's just, I mean, you can't ask the world for something like that. Sure, it's a great contract now. And uh, it puts you in a good spot for next year. But, I mean, if I was one of those teams, I would have had a hard time selling everything to get him. I would have wanted two or three better uh, just kind of average pieces rather than go for that one really big one personally. Yeah. And the shoulder injury that made him possibly available too. Right. Because that person's worried about uh, if they make the playoffs, you know, him going down yeah. for two and, weeks. And so in a nice set of Tatis's defense, um, that injury with him could not have happened at a worse possible time. I think if you had MVP caliber Tatis uh, going at it there for the last couple of weeks before the deadline, he's probably going to be able to get what he wanted for it. I think, I don't know. I feel that probably was a big hang up. So we've kind of described the market in general, you know, maybe give a little bit of a personal perspective on it. I know that you had a pretty complex trade deadline on the weeks leading up to it, where, where you made some decisions, changed that. So let our viewers know, uh, you know, kind of where was your head out? Where was your decision-making at? And, and you don't necessarily specifically talk about the deals. Uh, we're going to get to that. But in general, what was your philosophy and kind of uh, as this played out? So earlier in the year, I had made a decision with um, heavy Calvin Lelouch to make a move to try to get Winker, someone I thought, you know, in a $3 contract, he was obviously named an all-star starter. Um, this is a guy that could be one of those Trevor Story-like contracts for the next couple of years. Um, 
when I did that, I obviously was in a place of strength. Uh, I ended up running into a couple injuries or whatever and ended up selling Winker to, uh, or no, I, who, no, I had Winker. Jesus, man, I make too many trades. Um, I can't remember how that, I traded Trey Turner to get Winker, then traded Winker to Lasers Pew Pew and got kind of a haul for that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that worked out in my favor because that gave me some options to trade for some more keepers later, which then I ended up having to buy because I 10 owed the worst team <laughs> we've seen in the league in a non-COVID shortened season. So uh, kind of taking advantage of that spot, but it also put me in a horrible spot too because I still feel Chico's bail bonds will not make the playoffs. He's going to be the odd man out with losing out on some pretty good contracts that he sold to discrete transaction who I felt had a really good deadline. Um, as far as get maximizing a bunch of injured guys and some underperforming guys in that regard. I don't know. How'd you feel about his uh, trade deadline? Well, I kind of going to my experience on it. I, I went into the deadline. Uh, I, I have, uh, I was in contention. Uh, I had quite a bit of cap room, which was something I'd never experienced mm, before. Cap Normal, room's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, um, either I've been fortunate enough to be in a good spot and kind of have the pieces working and more of a fine tuning deadline, or a few years back, I was out of it and kind of did something similar to you did. I, I kind of sold early and then the, the schedule and kind of performance matched up or actually tried the last day of the deadline, you know, bought some more pieces, but this deadline was weird for me in that I had a lot of cap space and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with it. Um, you know, there were, a lot of people that were willing to trade, um, but I felt like I had an advantage in that I could take on some of those contracts that really good players, but they were expensive. Uh, so, and I didn't really have to drop anything of value to make room for that. So I did think there were some opportunities there, but I really didn't want to set the market. I, I thought that eventually there would be some really good deals to be had. Um, so I was monitoring, you know, the movements, talking with people, uh, it ultimately made the moves I did, and we'll, we'll break down some of those here in a second. But I thought it was an—I I thought it was a good deadline. A lot of people willing to make some moves, um, but I, I ultimately, you know, thought that there was some opportunities by a lot of managers that they missed. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I, I think it was a, a fun deadline because there wasn't any clear-cut guys available, you know, besides Tatis that we talked about a little bit. But I think there was a lot of decent players that people just had tons of different ranges of values on and it was just kind of fun to see it play out so so he i mean you touched on that cap space thing i do think that's part of i mean i know durst was in or not durst bobachette sorry he was in a tough spot where he didn't have a ton of cap space to work with and like i think he could have maybe maybe moved a uh, bobachette he could have moved a vlad jr if he wanted to with one more year left and and really really gotten like a a treasure trove of of players for that type of thing but like that's one thing that's extremely unique about our league is you do have to fit things in within the parameters of that cap so you know just one more tip of the hat to this league as being one of the best ever i don't know many leagues that have a hard cap like that where it inhibits trades and things like that but i don't know yeah it does it does add another layer of decision making complexity that, that really makes this a fun league so let, let's dive into a few trades um, I, I know that we've had several trades that happened kind of before the deadline, but I really want to focus basically a week out from the deadline. That's where we saw a lot of the movement. And the first trade that we had actually involved Chico's bail bonds and dress barn. Uh, 
Chico's sent Carlos Santana, Kyle Gibson, Buster Posey, Starling Marte, Ozzy Albies mm. to uh, uh, to Dress Barn, and Chico's got back in return. Tristan McKenzie, uh, Jonathan India on a, a nice contract, Tyler Stevenson, uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, uh, Cattell Marte. Marte on one year was kind of the big uh, part of that trade. I know firsthand because I was involved. Jonathan India was someone that I picked up off waivers right away, kind of started slow and he's really picked it up um, as of late. And even since the deadline, I think if uh, Dress Barn could do that one over, he might not include him, but uh, Kettle Marte was the, the, the key part of that deal. I remember. Yep. So that's, so that was, again, um, you know, we've talked about kind of how your thought processes change. So that was at the point where uh, you were, you were deciding to gain some keepers uh, move some nice contracts, um, you know, that, that were, that were, had good value, but you probably weren't going to keep them. Um, so that was your first move. Anything that you want to add to that? I mean, it seems pretty standard. You got a, uh, you got Marte on that last deal, uh, last year of the deal. And, uh, you know, you picked up India who's really gotten, you know, at the time of the trade, he was, he was valuable, but I think his value has only risen since that trade. Uh, but that was just kind of your standard, uh, have a relationship with that manager working with him, uh, found an opportunity and jumped on it, right? Yeah, I think I think my thoughts, and I think a lot of people, like especially if you're in the middle of that standing um, area, is to get some pieces that, A, either you can keep and they're going to be good going forward, like Kettle Marte was, or uh, items you can flip later. And, you know, Marte, he's been hurt this year, obviously, but I feel that $11 contract going into next year is going to be pretty good. So that was something that I thought would be appealing if let's say I, you know, started having some good luck and ended up putting myself in the top six or eight or whatever that I could then turn him over. I think that's something you've really seen the last couple of years in this league is to not just, you know, like that trade was done a week out beforehand. Maybe that gives you another week or two to kind of figure out where you stand before that deadline and what you want to do. So, so on top of that move, you're, you're still in, uh, Chico's was still in that sell mode. Uh, so another transaction happened um, that would be considered kind of a, a mining for keepers type situation. Uh, you were working uh, with uh, the, the owner of Bottles Aheen. Uh, you completed another transaction, uh, sending Tony Gonsolin, uh, Jesus Aguilar, Albert Azale, uh, Enrique Hernandez, Justin Turner, and Mike Trout. Uh, they went to Bottles Oheen to, uh, and in mm. return, you got back uh, Eugenio Soria, Suarez, Trevor Rogers, uh, who was the kind of the main target there, yep. uh, Ross Stripling, uh, Vidal Brujan, uh, a, a pretty decently priced Jose Altuve, and Patrick Wisdom. So walk us Infinite through that Infinite Wisdom. One. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, oh man, this trade could not have, in hindsight, worked out better for me and worse for Bottles Oheen. I mean, he had, he rolled the dice on Trout, which, I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to sell. And I do not blame him. I mean, he also got some pretty decent pieces back. Aguilar, he could be a pretty good keeper. Justin Turner, he has keeper potential. So like all in all, it wasn't like a huge loss for him at the time, but that Jose Altuve contract was good. And Trevor Rogers was someone I was hoping to turn in. I, I don't like keeping keeper uh, pitchers for keepers. Uh, too much risk involved there for my personal liking. But you know, at that time, I want to say Jensen was in, or Bottles of Hen was in like the top. I want to say he was sitting at like the four spot or something like that. So for him to make a move where he wasn't giving up 
I mean, obviously, like Altuve has been great, but anytime you can get Trout back and you think he's going to come back, I, I get why he did it. So I don't know. Yeah, that's again that when we talked about the front end of this, kind of really analyzing at the time doing the trade as opposed to where we're at now, it did seem like Trout was probably weeks away. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely wasn't back, so there was some risk in that. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, the Jesus Aguilar, Justin Turner, even the Gonsolin contracts, not terrible and that you could potentially keep those. I, I would say my issue with this one is the inclusion of Jose Altuve. I, I think that might have been the misstep here. I, I know that he was clearing cap space. But cap had take, a lot to do with it. Yep. Yeah, to take Altuve out of his lineup. I mean, I, that's to me, Altuve is a classic competing keeper right is he is he a dollar no but at 18 dollars, and you know potentially probably the best second baseman this year uh, you know maybe he's in uh, competition with Ozzy Albies for that title but clearly he was a good price tag a good value at 18 dollars. I would have preferred to see him try to figure out a way to, to get better and hang on to that contract and if he was going to move them I would feel like he, I think obviously he felt Trout was going to come back or he wouldn't have done the deal, but I think that he didn't bake in enough risk with potentially Trout not coming back. Again, easier to say that now because he's not back. Um, But that one was a little iffy to me. Um, I I like where I think it was a big power move and I think it could have worked out really well and it still might work out for him. Um, But I think that was the one misstep maybe undervaluing what that Altuve contract was both in the production he was getting on his team, as well as, you know, what the future potential of that contract is. Let me just go on record. I don't think it's going to work out for him. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, next trade, we've got our classic uh, wit for brains with gurus gone wild trade. Um, The Max Freed contract I feel was probably the, is that the linchpin here? Yeah, I mean this one. Uh, this one has bloodlines written all over it. Uh, not in that it's a not that it's a nefarious trade, but it, it seems like one that was more kind of an even. You know, yeah. this helps me, me make this my team you. better. This helps you make your team better. A yeah, classic I mean, deal here. Yeah, I don't think there was anything really to that. I do. I mean, Willie Adamas for five dollars. Um, I, I don't know if that's something that would be able to be used next year probably um potentially yeah, guys been good guys um, been good no this one didn't have the this one didn't have the overtures of a hey i'm giving you all of my players for this one really cheap keeper contract mm-hmm. um, you know this was just more of a to me you know keeping uh make myself a little bit better there are a couple of players with some keeper potential in there but i, I don't think it was anything earth shattering um and that's just my opinion. And we, we had a few other trades come through too. Uh, we had Bottles Oheen sending Ramon Laureano to Gurus Gone Wild for Kenta Maeda. Now, mm-hmm. full context on that, Ramon Laureano, since that trade uh, got popped for uh, performance enhancing. So he was suspended uh, basically for the rest of the year. So on, on the surface, that one was pretty even. I mean, he was doing, he, his numbers yep. looked pretty good. Kenta Maeda, though disappointing overall was pitching a little bit better um, but this one nothing earth shattering very similar price tags you know just one team needing hitting one team needing pitching the, the one the one I want to talk about here I'm going to skip over one uh, simple one between uh, bear caught fish and Gurus gone wild this little Lebowski urban achiever with Ebby Calvin Lelouch trade I love this trade for Ebby Calvin Lelouch Corbin Burns has been unreal 
Yeah. And I think this was, this was really the, I think this is when things got real. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Ebby Calvin Lelouch posted that, you know, basically Simeon Woodruff and and Craig Kimball were available. Bring your best offers. I I know he got a ton of hits on this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this one held up some things. I didn't, I think people were waiting to see what happened with this one before they made their next move. Um, I I think you got to give little Lebowski's urban achievers credit here. Corbin Burns is a great contract, uh, $5. It still needs to be extended for next year. Um, But I think from a, this season standpoint, I I think Corbin Burns potentially with where the Brewers are sitting in the standings, they could see some innings being dialed back. Um, Woodruff could see the same thing, but I think that was a good replacement, you know, trading Corbin Burns, getting Woodruff. I think Woodruff's less likely to have his innings uh, reduced or have him, you know, a mysterious IL stint. Um, This one was interesting too, because Craig Kimbrell at the time was on on the Cubs. Um, I would have guessed that most likely wherever he got traded, he'd be getting the lion's share of the save opportunities. Then Tony LaRusa got involved. Yeah, it happens. (laughs) It happens. He goes uh, to their neighbors uh, to the South who had Liam Hendricks. So that one's a little bit interesting. Hendricks has been struggling a little bit. Um, but Kimbrell still hasn't seen a, a ton of save opportunities in there. So unfortunately for that one, I, that that trade I, I thought was a good speculative move because I figured he'd probably go into the Phillies, maybe Boston. I didn't think he'd go somewhere where he wouldn't be getting the majority of the saves. So that made some serious change. And I also think this trade was interesting, Gravy, in that this is one of those trades that basically anybody could do, right? Yep. Uh, Simeon $10, Woodruff $9, Kimbrell $9, pretty much no anyone, big contracts. Yep. Yeah, pretty much anyone could have cleared space for that. Um, so I do give Brendan credit. I, I think that, you know, probably on the surface, he could have gotten more for Burns if he waited it out. But I also think this was an opportunity for him to add to his team without having to really take away any decent pieces that might be a little bit expensive just to make it work. Um, yep. So I, I like this move. It was decisive. And I think Ebby, Calvin Lelouch's owner, has got to be commended too in that he was kind of in that middle range had some injuries Shane Bieber being the one cap problems too yeah his team was built on some uh some some expensive pitching uh had some two-year contracts that he unfortunately let go that were still affecting his cap so didn't have a ton of wiggle room but I think it did take uh he took the smart path in in trying to get some keepers Um, I just think getting that ace for next year I mean we've seen those guys are going upwards of 40 bucks now sometimes to get a, I mean, someone of, of Corbin Burns caliper next year, you know? So. Yeah. So that was, I mean, again, I think basically that was a situation where, uh, you know, Ebby was uh, kind of controlling the market. I'm pretty sure basically everyone offered their best keeper um, in some fashion to, to kind of get that player package. And then uh, he ended up ultimately doing the deal with uh, little Lebowski's urban cheaper getting Corbin Burns for next year. So that was a key one that was holding things up. I think once that trade went through, people started uh, picking up in, in terms of the activity on kind of, you know, plan B, C, and D. I want to talk about these next two trades, Gravy, kind of as a tandem play because they involved the, the same owner. And uh, this was uh, two different trades. We had, uh, sorry. We had Sean Manaya uh, leaving Dress Barn to go to Wit for Brains. Uh, in coming back to uh, Dress Barn was Nelson Cruz and Frankie Montas. I thought this was an interesting one, in that 
Frankie Montas's value had kind of changed, you know, and, and perspectives that had changed, right? He had kind of been looked at as kind of a bad contract. Uh, even there was some uh, some cackling on, on on some chains about you know where he stood. But the he's been he got traded multiple times during the deadline, and ultimately they landed on uh, Dress Barn. Um, decided to take a gamble on him. I don't have as big of an issue with this. I, I think. Montas kind of falls into one of those keepers, you know, the value is about right. And if you're going for it, it doesn't hurt to kind of take on one of these guaranteed contracts and have them produce for you. Yeah, maybe it's not your top choice to keep, but if it works out and Nelson Cruz hits well, uh, Frankie Montas pitches well, you're willing to sacrifice Sean Manaya, who was on that one-year deal that can be kept uh, for four or five dollars. And I, I think on the back end, it makes sense for Whit for Brains in that, yes, uh, you know, Frankie Montas and Manaya are, are pretty similar pitchers and value, but he gets to reset that clock in that, you know, he gets another free year to look at Manaya, gets off that Frankie Montas contract, though it's not terrible. Uh, it still provides him a little bit more flexibility that he can, you know, save some dollars at the draft next year and not have that guaranteed contract on his book. So I, I did like that move for both of these, these managers. I think it made a lot of sense. And then on top of that, after uh, we talked about that trade, uh, Whitford Brains also completed a transaction with uh, Chico's bail bonds. Uh, he moved, uh, he moved uh, Lamont Wade Jr., Freddie Freeman and Eduardo uh, Rodriguez to Chico's for Trevor Rogers and Eugenio Suarez. So uh, we had some Suarez those, contract. Woo. Yeah. So hey. we had some of those players that you obtained in your, your kind of your, your selling deal uh, with uh, bottles. Uh, you, your, your position in the standings improved. Uh, so you decided to change course and, and make a trade to, to bolster your team. So Walk us through that one a little bit, kind of where were your head, where was your head? Do you like how that went down? Uh, what's your feelings on that one? I, I believe that week uh, Chico's and Wit for Brains were kind of in the same spot in the standings. And there was a lot of texting going back and forth, um, just kind of jockeying, seeing where we were. And I think at that point, Wit for Brains somewhat committed to being a seller, um, you know, getting Freddie Free or getting rid of Freddie Freeman. That's obviously a, a great player. Um, no one wants to get rid of. And at the time, Trevor Rogers was pitching lights out. So um, that's another young arm for him to build around next year. So it made perfect sense for him. Yeah, I, I, I like I kind of think of these two deals in tandem. Um, you know, could could he have held out and maybe gotten a little bit better keeper by maybe combining those possibly? Uh, but I like the idea of getting a couple trades done, getting some cheap pitching for next year, clearing uh, a guaranteed contract off his books and kind of restarting for next year. So I think this one made complete sense. Um, yeah, the, the next one I want to talk about is the trammeled by Tortuga's bear caught fish trade. Mm -hmm. um, this one was kind of surprising to me. Um, well, it seemed at this point, Grant or bear caught fish was planning on uh, selling, um, you know, getting rid of uh, Zach Wheeler, um, Kenley Jansen, Manoa was a prospect, Lords Gurriel. Um, horrible contract now in hindsight. Somehow Tortugas was willing, uh, able to get rid of that. Um, but it seemed like Manoa is what 
uh, bear caught fish was trying to get here, selling that expiring, or I guess that it's Wheeler's not expiring, right? Uh, he, oh, he, would, a, he would need to be extended. His, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, so yeah. I, the, I, I'm, this is going to be probably one of my least favorite trades that went through. Uh, uh, this felt like a, you know extremely experienced uh, veteran owner, uh, you know, kind of making a, a, a slick move with maybe one of our more unex, inexperienced owners on the board here. I, I don't like this trade at all. I think that Wheeler and Jansen, if you're going to sell, uh, I don't have a huge issue with him selling. And, and, and Manoa on the surface, that, that's great. Uh, but I'm with you. The Guriel contract now, it's not horrible, but it's, it's, he's locked into $11 next year. I feel pretty confident, unless things ex- change extremely from now till the end of the year, that he wouldn't have been $11 at next year's draft. Oh, so I feel part like, of a platoon right now. Yeah, so I feel like he's basically taking the money he's saving on Manoa and he's pumping that right back into Guriel Jr. Yep. Um, I, I, that just seems counterproductive to me. It could work out for him. I just think in this situation, if he's going to sell, he had some other pieces. I think you got to wait this one out and package that and find a little something better than that. And on, on top of that, I, I just think that uh, – I think that you were you would be better served by if this was the best he could do. This is a last minute deal that happens deadline night, uh, you know, not a couple of days from the deadline. I just don't think that he shopped those pieces well enough. Now you kind of mentioned it; he's actually made a move and has a decent chance of making the playoffs. But yep. I, I think this is just one situation where you're caught in the middle. Either you got to sell uh, and you got to do it, you know, completely, you know, or you need to take your best pieces and get your best keepers that you can. I just don't think he did that here. And it's not, it's not a horrible deal. Uh, it's just probably one of my least favorite. And, and mainly I'm a little bit lower on, on Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I mean, you talked about some transactions involving him. I didn't want to have to keep him for the following year. Um, so I can't imagine, you know, someone that if they don't win it or, or make a deep run in the playoffs are going to want that on their, on their ledger. And I think that it also, I, I talked about that with the uh, Frankie Montas, I think Guriel is more of a competing team piece, right? Uh, if you win it or, or place and you, you know, you start your team off with him, it's not a horrible thing. Um, but if you don't do much damage in the playoffs and you have to allocate that roster spot and those dollars for a guy that probably is going to be half that at, at auction next year, uh, I'm just not a fan of that. So this next deal with uh, the Silver Smiles and Guru, why don't you talk me through that one? You getting Mookie Betts and Drew yeah. Smiley? Yeah. So the uh, the carrot that was dangled was uh, was Mookie Betts. Uh, the, the Smiley portion of that trade, you know, didn't really matter to me. Um, and I moved uh, Yuli Gurriel on a dollar contract, uh, Madison Bumgarner, uh, and a uh, Francisco Lindor contract, uh, who had uh, was going through an oblique injury at that time. He still hurt. This is one, I, I think on the surface, I, I really liked it both because I needed, a, I needed an impact bat. And I had mentioned on the top of this, I had some cap space. Reminds uh, me a lot of the trout trade earlier. Yeah, it, he was, I, I think his prognosis was a little bit better uh, yeah. that he was going to be coming back. Um, and I, I, I wanted to get an outfield upgrade. My outfield just wasn't up to, to snuff. So, I mean, it made sense for me. I, I do think I, I erred in that I maybe should have been a little bit more 
a little bit more thrifty with that cap space. I just kind of had that cap space. I'm like, yes, I can take this guy. Um, and when I was negotiating with, with Guru, it's gone wild. I, I probably didn't talk that point up enough that I was one of the few teams that could actually take that contract back. Now, I tried involving a little bit better keeper for getting more back. I'd hope to do one, basically one deal and be done um, to get some of his pitching. Uh, but he, he wasn't really moving on that. He, he really liked Yuli Gurriel. He'd been trying to get him from me all year. Um, so I know he targeted on that. And my intention was if I was going to trade him, I wasn't going to move anything else of value to me uh, at the time to get him. So it, it's not a horrible deal. I think when I look at, we kind of look at the whole trade deadline experience for me, I probably should have allocated that cap space a little bit better um, and, and maybe gone for a little bit more depth than, than taking on that Mookie deal. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it was a pretty low impact keeper. I, I think Yuli Gurriel for dollars. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think if Mookie Betts would have been healthy the whole time, this would be a, a, a slam dunk. Uh, you know, he hit well when I got him and then he got hurt again. So this one's probably incomplete. I think in the total though, I, I think I should have leveraged those cap dollars a little bit better and maybe possibly look somewhere else. So, uh, let's next talk about discrete transaction and how indiscreet he was about having uh, trade partners. This guy was ready, willing, able. And, you know, for being like one of the bottom three teams at the time, he sure had a ton of pieces that people wanted, right? Yeah, it was interesting, right? I mean, he, he became the most popular guy, uh, yet his team wasn't doing very well. But he just had a lot of cheap pieces that, that were performing okay. Um, he did have some injury issues. Uh, he had a lot of elite starting pitching that was hurt. Because because his team, you know, it was, it obviously had talent on it and it had talent that people wanted. So I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. I, I think that that, I think that he had a lot of, a lot of opportunities to, to make his team better. I think initially the vibe I was getting from him that he wanted to do one deal for everything, get a couple keepers. Um, and sometimes it works out where you can kind of package some smaller deals together. And I, I honestly think he did a really good job here. Um, and we yeah, he's, of... he's going to go into next year. He's going to have Austin Riley on a dirt cheap contract. He's going to have uh, Altuve on a pretty good contract. Nick Castellanos he's going to have. Um, I don't know. Is there anyone else you're seeing that he got out of these deals? Yeah. I mean, well, within those John means maybe. Yeah, the, I mean, I think Austin Riley and John Means were the two things that he that he was coveting, uh, getting a pitcher, pitcher and a hitter. Um, and, and realistically, he didn't have to empty the tank to get those, which I think was a right. little was a little surprising, which led him to do two more transactions, um, one involving your team, where uh, you know you basically took on JT Realm, JT Real Muto, DJ Lemayhu, uh, Giancarlo Bregman. Stanton, Kyle Hendricks, uh, Romano. Blackman and uh, Alex Bregman, uh, pretty significant haul. And, and you send him back that, uh, you know, very solid Altuve contract along with uh, Nick Castellano. So I, I think he did a really good job here in that he kind of had some remaining pieces. You had cap space and he got two, you know, though they're not dollar contracts that sometimes are the most coveted, I think it's pretty easy to say both Altuve and Castellanos would be significantly higher than their current price tags at next year's auction. And, you know, he got some more, uh, some guaranteed production uh, in those contracts. He's got some speculative ads and, and can Austin Riley keep it up? Can John Means stay healthy? 
And then on top of that, he made that third deal, um, mm. which I, I really like this deal. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I'm a huge Kyle Tucker fan. I think he's incredibly undervalued uh, in fantasy baseball in general. Great team, um, yep. But yeah, getting another, getting a $13 for one year of him on top of all that. And, and really all he moved was, you know, both Clayton Kershaw, who was hurt at the time, Jack Flaherty, who was hurt at the time. Um, and I'll admit, I was I was negotiating with uh, uh, discrete transaction during this time frame, And, you know, I felt like Kershaw would come back before Flaherty. So yeah, th- this was an interesting one. And I thought that this was a, a really Prudent move by Bo uh, Bichette, who is our, our league leader right now, is in a really good spot. But his team's been built on pitching. He has DeGrom hurt. Uh, Yuv Darvish was hurt. You know, he has Oatani uh, as someone that, you know, are they going to pitch him two times in a given week? Uh, probably not. So I, I think he knew he, need, he knew he needed to upgrade his pitching. Um, this one has some long-term ramifications. I mean, Flaherty's back now looking pretty good. Uh, if Kershaw can come back before the playoffs, I think he'll be in a good spot because it's probably looking now that he probably won't have DeGrom, um, at least yep. in full capacity. I, I think it was a big price tag for him to pay, though. Uh, you know, Tucker was probably his third best hitter, uh, you know, kind of was a nice compliment to uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Owatani. So it'll be interesting to see what this one does. I, I, at the time, I remember seeing it, and I, I was kind of surprised by it because I didn't see him capable of taking on that salary. So he was creative in the way he found that salary. Yep. Uh, and I think it ultimately this one's going to be, you know, win or bust. If he wins, he's probably not going to really care about that Tucker contract. If it doesn't work out for him, you know, he might regret that one. But I, I think it was a risk worth taking. Yep, for sure. Time will tell. Um. Ooh, next one, Wilton, Wilton Silver Smile and Wit for Brains. Yeah. Big deal here. Yeah, so kind of the last one maybe we'll talk about before we maybe uh, give yeah. our final analysis on this. So kind of uh, towards the end of the evening, uh, I moved uh, to Wit for Brains, uh, Luke Voigt, Matt Chapman, Dane Dunning, um, Jared Walsh, and Yadier Molina, uh, Walsh being the, the, the keeper contract, and I got back. Nolan Arenado, uh, Taiwan Walker, AJ Pollock, Salvador Perez, and uh, KK Kim. Uh, this one was kind of my last dance partner that I had. Um, I, I don't mind the return that I got. Um, you know, Arenado at $41. Again, I had that cap space. He's a really good player at $41. I'm not sure how many people could have taken that contract on, mm-hmm. but uh, I was really in need of, of some power. And at the time that I made the trade, Luke Voigt, uh, you know, the Yankees had just traded for Anthony Rizzo's and it sounded like his playing time might be up in the air. Yep. So I, I felt like I had to get a little bit more power in my, my lineup. So I took the gamble on Arenado. I liked putting in Perez as my, my catcher. I think he's probably the best hitting catcher. So oh, that, for gives, sure. that gives me an advantage and he had a reasonable contract. Um, so th- this was, this was a solid trade for me. I, I wish I could have gotten a little bit better pitching piece on top of that. Um, but all in all, with kind of the limited options that I had, I, I think this was an okay return. But good, good deal for uh, Wit for brains too. I like that Walsh contract. Yeah, um, I, I I found too that there was kind of two different camps when I was kind of marketing Walsh. Some people were all about it. Um, some people didn't want anything to do with them, which what to me was a little little striking. But um, I also I also understand it. I get it. But I felt like you know this was the best move that I could make. 
and, and probably one of the limited moves I had. So uh, I, I was happy with it. I think it was a, a, a pretty straightforward keeper move for, for, for some upgrades somewhere. Okay. So who, who do you got for winners of the deadline? So I, I think my winner, when I look at this, you know, it kind of in, in, in totality is I, I really liked what um, Trammelled by Tortugas did. Uh, I, I think he made several upgrades. I think that the keepers he gave back were pretty minimal. I mean, they were good keepers, but uh, he didn't have to give up Gosman. He didn't have to give up Peralta. He can keep those two cornerstones as his aces for next year and, and still got better in a lot of different places. And he found the goat for a reason. Yep. He found trading partners too. you know, salaries that, that were manageable. Uh, you know, he didn't take on a, a $60 Mookie Betts or Trout. Uh, he didn't have to do that. And, you know, limiting the, limiting the keepers that he had to give up. He also really shored up his saves, you know, uh, saves have been tough to come by uh, picking up Kenley Jansen and Mark Melanson, uh, two solid closers on two competitive teams. Uh, I think he's going to start racking up saves. And as I mentioned, I don't think he really gave up a ton. I mean, those are some nice pieces. Uh, Manoa, Riley, Means, those are nice pieces. But I, I, I think we're underrating him getting off that Guriel contract. It's not horrible at $11, but I, I really like that he was able to leverage that, get that off his ledger, uh, get better, and, and still keep his uh, probably his two best keepers. The, the, the other one I think had a, a good deadline from a seller perspective, I would say, was discrete transaction. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, he didn't really necessarily get like the dirt cheap keepers, but he got a, got a lot of guys who were going to go in the draft next year for 10 to $15 more than what he's got them at. So he, he built a lot of value for his team going into next season, I felt. Yeah, and I just think the vibe I was getting him, he wanted to do one large trade mm -hmm. uh, for a couple different pieces. And he ended and, up with three. Yeah, he chunked it out into three deals. And sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, I think in this stand, I, I think he did the best at the deadline. What about losers? We got to go with losers. You know, I was a little, I, I was a little perplexed at um, Tatis gone wild that he didn't make a move. I think his team is a legit contender right now. Um, and he had some pieces beyond Tatis that I think he could move. He had cap space. Um, I, I'm just a little baffled that he couldn't find a trade partner to kind of shore up some of those areas. I mean, he could still go on and win this league. I, I think he has one of the strongest teams, but you know, if I'm him, you know, I'm going to move anyone beyond Tatis to make my team better. Uh, and I really think he missed an opportunity there. I, I don't, I know that he was in on uh, some of the, the flashier names that were available. Uh, he obviously came in second on, or second or third on some of those deals, but I, I still think that there had to be a way that he could make his team better without, um, uh, without sacrificing Tatis. And again, his team's great. Uh, he's withstand some injuries. Um, and he's a team that to be reckoned with. I just think he could have shored up some things without really selling much of his future. Yeah, maybe sold one of them big offensive pieces like uh, Mullins, Tatis, Hernandez, one of them cheaper guys, and, and shored up his pitching maybe. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him do a deal with uh, discrete transaction maybe or, or someone like that that had a little bit of pitching to get rid of. How about you? What's, uh, where was one of your, uh, your, your sad faces? Um. I don't know if it's a sad face so much, but more um, just, I, I'm really surprised. One of our more active guys around the deadline, Dressbarn, 
Um, didn't really do much deadline night. Um, he's also another one that's got a pretty good squad, made a deal a week or two before, but you know, that guy's got great pitching. His offense is going to be what perhaps, you know, is his downside. I would have liked to have seen him maybe get an offensive piece or something like that there at the deadline when, you know, people were available to be got. Yeah. But to be, to be fair, I mean, I, I think he made that, he, he made a couple moves prior to the deadline yep. where he sold some keepers. So I, I think that's a little strong and not to mention he did do that deal to get Nelson Cruz and Montas um, uh, for Sean Manaya. And I guess yeah. I don't know from a cap perspective, if he had a ton more to give beyond that, maybe some smaller deals, but yeah, I think I, my I, dial up I, went out when you were talking about that. So. <laughs> I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that I would give him an incomplete grade. I think he's in a no. good spot and definitely, I, you know, maybe there was some fine tuning there, but all in all, I think he did three, seller type transactions to make his team better. And I'm guessing a lot of teams aren't going to want to face him in the playoffs. So um, either that, way, an exciting deadline to propel us to an exciting playoff push, right? Yeah. I mean, we've always said it, it's the second most exciting day on the fantasy baseball calendar. Uh, yep. So I, I think that we had a lot of good trades and uh, I, I think only time will tell how those trades uh, will ultimately end up for, for the winners. If people are going to like what they did or if they're going to ultimately regret it. Yeah. Time will tell. We'll probably know a little bit more in two weeks. I bet. All right, Grady. All right. Mr. Veenstra, have a great night. We'll talk to you later. Later. If you enjoyed our content, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. Be on the lookout for our next episode dropping soon where we'll cover the playoff pushes in Moneyball League. And always, always remember to keep banging.